We are in the season of Lent as we prepare our hearts to think about the crucifixion of Christ. It is the main event in history, crucifixion of Christ, and three days later, the resurrection. Everything that we believe, everything that we really are is based on those two things, crucifixion and the resurrection. So it's essential, and the season of Lent gives us time to work up to it and prepare our hearts for it. And we continue in our series leading us up to that event on Easter Sunday. We'll be talking about on Good Friday the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And leading up to the events that uh, occurred that uh, brought about that event. And so we're in Luke chapter 19 today, Luke chapter 19 for our text today. This story is told in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell this particular story that we're going to think about today. And each one adds this little bit different thing to it. And I will draw from all four accounts as I talk about it, although we will read Luke's account uh, because that's the one I think is the best one for us to read. If you want to read extra, you go read the other three accounts on what happened on this particular day as we think about Luke chapter 19. I remember on many occasions when we were kids, we'd go to visit friends And before we got out of the car, Mom would turn around to the three of us in the back seat and say, remember, when we go inside, children are to be seen and not heard. And she'd say, the adults will be having conversation, and you will not speak unless someone speaks to you first. And that was her speech before we went inside. Her point was that you will not be the center of attention when we get inside. I remember, though, visiting one of my aunts. and I had a cousin who was just one year older than me. He came running into the room wearing a cape like Batman, you know. And he ran in circles around the room, you know, na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na, Batman. And uh, then he jumped on the couch and got up on top of the couch, ran across the couch with his uh, cape flying in the wind, and jumped off the couch and said, Shazam! And I was rather stunned. <laughs> I'd never seen anyone, especially a kid, run across the top of a couch and jump off. And I thought, boy, I'd never get away with that at home. There was no question who was the center of attention in that house. And for sure, it wasn't the adult. His mother seemed oblivious to it all. I don't know if it was my cousin's way of getting attention or whether he was just a little crazy. Could be a little of both. But I knew for sure that nothing like that was ever going to happen in my house because Mom made sure that we never became the center of attention when visitors we're present. In our text today, Jesus is the center of attention, which is something he always sought to avoid. But it seems like a sudden change in policy when we get into our Lenten text for today. Now, what we're about to see has been told by all four gospel writers, and I'm sure in their minds it was an outstanding 
outstanding event. So let's see if we can capture the moment and feel what it was like to witness what we have come to call the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem or sometimes the first Palm Sunday. The setting for our story was Passover in Jerusalem. It was the most patriotic holiday for the Jews, like our 4th of July. Passover celebrated freedom. Moses had led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt on the first Passover. And so the Jews celebrated their freedom from all oppressors at Passover. The problem was, at this time, the Romans had taken over Israel and controlled the Jewish state, which made the Jews angry, especially at Passover. So there was freedom on the lips of the Jews, but a lot of tension because of the Roman occupation. People from all over the world would travel to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. And people usually left their hometowns and walked to Jerusalem in a group of friends and neighbors from their town, camping along the way together. And they sang songs along the way as they traveled. Uh, Songs they sang were from the book of Psalms in chapter 120 to 134, which were called the Psalms of Degrees, and that's what they sang as they walked. When they finally arrived at Jerusalem, they celebrated by announcing their arrival. Here we are, we're from Capernaum, or here we are from Jericho, or Nain, or whatever town that they were from, as they entered into the city of Jerusalem. And the main gate of entry was the eastern gate, which you approach by climbing up over the Mount of Olives and descending down again the other side into the city. Now the most outstanding building that you saw as you entered Jerusalem was the temple. Its golden dome, its banners flying in the breeze, torches that lit up the the scene at night, was a sort of a spectacular view as it towered up over the city of Jerusalem, being purposely built on the top of Mount Zion to be the highest building in Jerusalem. However, there was another building that stood higher than the temple built right behind it, and much to the chagrin of the Jews, the Roman fortress of Antonia stood higher than the temple, obviously built to antagonize the Jews. And at Passover, the fortress was usually fully occupied by Roman soldiers and also the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And their goal was to keep the excitable Jews in check especially on this patriotic holiday. The Roman governor had a policy which was, go ahead, celebrate your holiday, but you will be peaceful. And you will not go overboard because we are here to keep the peace. Now, to keep the peace, the Romans had that high place, the towers of Antonia, to watch over the temple and to watch over the people who were entering into the city. But human nature 
never really changes, does it? People are always the same. For example, if we all got together and said, let's go to Washington, D.C., and let's go to the Capitol building, and we'll walk in down there and we'll say, hey, we're here. We're from East Shelby. We come to say what's on our minds. I'm sure we'd be greeted uh, with <coughs> whoop-de-doo. <laughs> East Shelby, who cares? We're in charge and not you, so just keep quiet, go home, and it'll all be over and done with. And so it was back then when the travelers arrived into Jerusalem, announced that here, here from Cana or Hebron or Bethlehem, the ruling class said, yeah, who cares? Just don't bother us. And no one took notice as the pilgrims entered the city, announcing where they were from. People met their friends and relatives and visited together and attended the special services all week long in the temple. But then, this time, something happened quite different from normal Passover activities. Luke now, chapter 19, and I start reading at verse number 28. And when he had spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, as he come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village over against you, into which you are entering, you shall find a colt tied, wherein yet never man sat. Loose him, bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, and found even as he said unto them, and as they were loosing the colt, the owners therefore said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. Now Jesus has been in Bethany. It's about two miles outside of Jerusalem at the house of Mary and Martha. The celebrity of that house is Lazarus, their brother. And the reason he's such a celebrity, because a couple of weeks before this event, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead after being four days in a grave. And the news spread like wildfire all over Jerusalem. And ever since he had risen him from the dead, people had traveled out to Bethany just to look at Lazarus, just want to see him. They go out and just look at him. So now Jesus is beginning that trip into Jerusalem. He's got a crowd with him. And he stops for a minute. And he sends two disciples ahead to fetch him a colt. He says, it's at the fork in the road. And so they go to the fork in the road. And as they untie the colt, they're challenged by its owner. Disciples reply, the great teacher, the master, the rabbi, has need of him. And the owners agree. And so waiting now for the cult to come back, the whole crowd hesitates. And while they're waiting, some people 
run ahead into Jerusalem and they begin to spread the news. Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem. And the crowd replies, well, let's all go meet the parade. And so suddenly, the Roman soldiers looking down from the fortress see a great big crowd leaving town. And why are these people leaving town? Climbing back up the Mount of Olives and out of the sight. I wonder what's going on. Now the people in town have already been telling the story of Jesus raising Lazarus. And now Jesus and Lazarus are both coming into Jerusalem. So let's go, let's go see him, let's go meet him. And the big crowd leaves town. Jesus, completely understanding what's about to happen, sends for the colt to ride into Jerusalem. Normally avoiding being the center of attention, this time he seems to promote the idea. Verse number 35. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Now, the mighty things that they had seen, of which the greatest was the raising of Lazarus, is what they were talking about. So now two crowds met. One crowd coming out of the city. Another crowd following Jesus towards Jerusalem. So now the crowd is twice as large as it normally would be. And people are tossing their coats on the road in front of Jesus as he rides the colt towards Jerusalem. The people tear branches off the trees, wave them up in the air, and suddenly... Full of excitement, the crowd begins to shout out loud, verse 38, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, the words that they are shouting are taken from Psalm 118. These are very familiar words to these people. It would be like us if I said, let's sing the doxology. Everybody knows the doxology, right? If I said, let's repeat the Lord's Prayer. Everybody knows that. It's something that everybody knows what to say. In the temple, Psalm 118 was used as what I'd call a call and answer phrase. That is, the people said half of a verse, and the priest answered the other half back. And so if I read it like they used to do it, Psalm 118, I'm looking at uh, verse number 25. The people would say, save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. And the priest would answer back, uh, I I beseech you, O Lord, send now prosperity. And the people would yell out, Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And the priest would answer and say, We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. And so on, back and forth is what they do. And so uh, verse 25 there in Psalm 118 
starts with these words, save now. Save now. In the Hebrew tongue, the word for save now is Hosanna. Hosanna. So now the two crowds join together and begin to walk up the Mount of Olives in the east side towards Jerusalem. They're shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And they go one step further than that. Matthew tells us they also shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Doesn't say that in Psalm 118. But its meaning is clear. The crowd thinks that Jesus is the Messiah. And so now Jesus, who is always kept out of sight, is now absolutely the center of attention. Surrounded with a crowd twice the size of a normal crowd, he's following the road up over the Mount of Olives, down the other side, he's going to enter Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us the whole town got wildly excited. And the people in Jerusalem asked, who's that? Who's coming? Who's that crowd? And the whole town is on alert. Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem. Now, who else notices? Well, there's a group which includes Roman soldiers and Jewish leaders who from their high buildings can look down and see the excitement down in the streets. You see, my friend, here's the example, all right? If we walked into the Capitol building and said, here, we're here from East Shelby, nobody cares. Who are you? We don't care. But if you drive all of your trucks onto Ottawa's main street, and park them on Main Street and close the place down, then somebody cares, don't they? All of a sudden, they take notice. They take notice that the bigger the movement, the more attention it draws. You can be certain, as this shouting crowd enters Jerusalem, everyone is on high alert. The Romans are prepared for a riot, people disturbing the peace. Trouble must be coming with this big, large, shouting, screaming crowd. But the chief priests are more alarmed. If Jesus is claiming to be Messiah, this might be a moment when he tries to take over. Especially with this loud, excited, patriotic crowd. Alarmed, (coughs) some of the Pharisees push through the crowd to get to Jesus, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. They said, these people can't go around calling you the son of David. They are misusing Psalm 118. So tell them to stop. Jesus said, verse 40, he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Nobody says it like Jesus. Often in the Bible, stones were used to say something special. 
Joshua set up stones from out of the Jordan River on the shore because he wanted to say, God dried up this river and let us pass here. And the stones then had a voice. Samuel set up a great big stone and he called it Ebenezer. And the stone says, God has helped us so far whenever you see the stone. So that stone had a voice. Now Jesus says, if the people don't sing my praises, the stones will tell the story of my coming into Jerusalem. You don't know how right Jesus was when he said the stones would speak. So this huge crowd is moving towards Jerusalem. As you come up the east side of the Mount of Olives, as they were doing, The mountain itself blocks your view of Jerusalem. As you get a little bit higher, you can see off to the left part of the city there. But finally, as you come over the very peak of the Mount of Olives, suddenly the whole view of the city stretches out before you. It's the most outstanding thing, of course, is the temple with its trees and walks and walls and acreage and that golden dome, the sun shines on it, and it's a spectacular view. Now, we know what the crowd thinks. We know what the Jewish leaders think. And we know what the Romans think. But I wonder, what's Jesus think? The question is, Jesus has become the center of attention. How does he like it? Is he enjoying it? Does he thrive on it? Is he swept away by the great cheering crowds as they shout, Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed be him that cometh in the name of the Lord! You could never guess What's going to happen next? Verse 41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept. He's riding the donkey. Comes over the very crest of the mountain and before him lies the city of Jerusalem. He sees it. He's not smiling. He's not waving to the crowd. He's weeping. And it's not a silent tear coming out of the side of the mouth. What it says in the original, there's a loud wailing. Oh, Jerusalem! Oh, oh, Jerusalem! Why is he so distraught? And why is he so overcome with grief that he wails out loud? Verse 42 saying, If thou hast known even now, at least in this thy day, the things which belong to thy peace, but now they are hid from thy eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay even thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave thee one stone upon another, because thou knowest not the time of thy visitation. 
Why does he cry out in such an emotional outburst when he views Jerusalem? Because he loves those people. He loves that city. He wants them to accept him as their king. And he offers them one last time. But he knows they will refuse to see and they will close their eyes and choose to be blind. He has made it as clear as possible, all to no avail. Therefore, he knows they will suffer the consequences of their rejection of Jesus. And he wails and weeps out loud at the thought of this final rejection. And Jesus says it exactly as it would take place. Forty years later, the Romans would build a wall around the city of Jerusalem to cut off all supplies, both in and out. And they would lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. After five months, the Roman army would enter Jerusalem, torch every building. And the Roman soldiers, angry at the Jews, would tear down the walls, even so far as to dig down and tear out the foundation stones. And the results of it were that the streets of Jerusalem were strewn with the bodies of children. And those Those stones strewn all over would have a voice. And those stones would cry out, Jesus the Messiah rode into your town, but you refused to accept him. And now the stones, not one left on top of another, speak out and say, you had a chance, you threw it out. You hope to keep Jerusalem for yourself, but you lost it all. And Jesus weeps. You lost it all. You lost it all. And the stones cry out. You lost it all. So, why did Jesus ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? The ancient prophet 500 years before wrote it in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 Rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion shout O daughter of Jerusalem behold thy king cometh unto thee he is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass upon a colt the foal of an ass. It was written of him 500 years before. Rejoice and shout. And they did. And it was written 500 years before. Your king will come to you. Riding on a coat. And that he did. And it was written that he was meek and lowly. And that he was. He didn't come in a chariot. He didn't come with shields and flags waving, not surrounded by swords and army. Instead, he rides on a colt, the foal of an ass. Palm branches are his red carpet. Women and children are his court. 
surrounded by fishermen. He does exactly what the prophet said he would do. He comes meek and lowly. But the prophet said he comes to bring salvation. Yes, he's a king. For a scepter, a Roman soldier will shove into his hand a cattail. His robe will be a purple one given to him to mock him. His crown will be made from thorns. And the only hill he will take is a place called Golgotha. Hosanna, the crowd cried. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna or save now. And so he did. The king of all kings had come to bring salvation. He rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. He quietly got off the colt. He walked into the temple. No riot. No attempt at a coup. No breaking of the peace. The Romans, who saw it all, would later say, He is no threat to anyone. And Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, would say, the rest of them are just jealous of Jesus. And Jesus stood helpless. He had given the last signal. He had fulfilled the last prophecy He had done the last deed. He had ridden into town on a donkey. And now he's helpless to find another way to save these people. So he wept and cried aloud. And that's what was on Jesus' mind as he rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. My friends, He still weeps for those who will not have him. He's done all he could do. Will you believe in him or not? People of Jerusalem cried out, Hosanna to the son of David on the day that he rode into town so meek and lowly. By Friday that week, they were crying with one voice, Crucify him, crucify. And so I ask you, who's the center of attention in your life? You or him? He loves you so much that his greatest desire is that you would be saved. I pray he'll be all of your focus and the center of attention in all that you do. Especially in this season of Lent, may he capture your heart and may you dry up his tears. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we see what you're thinking and we bow before you. Say you are a great king. And we honor you 
and know that you are great and wonderful. So we ask that every one of us would make sure that we listen to that voice and pay heed and make sure that Jesus is all we need. Help us, Lord, during this season to focus on you like we never have before. Bless us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. In closing, I'd like you to turn your hymn book to page number 550. Standing as we sing in closing, page number 550, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. Page 550. Tender.
we pray that we would hear your voice, listen to the calls that you have come to us to say who is important in our life, who is it that would be the center of attention. We pray that we would listen to that call of you and that we would answer and say, Lord Jesus, save me now, I am coming now home. We pray that we would be touched in our hearts deeply by you. We thank you so much for what you have done for us and the love that you have shown us and that you have weeped for our souls. We just pray that we would see that and come and listen to your spirit. Help us and guide us. Bring us back to this place, we pray. Watch over us. We ask for these things in your name. 